Bandwagon Nerds is taped in front of a live studio audience. Again, fellow basement dwellers, it's your good friend Patrick O'Dowd welcoming you into another edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Bandwagon Nerds is a part of the Chairshot Radio Network on thechairshot.com, where we encourage you to always use your head. Thechairshot.com, always use your head. Thank you, Amber, and hey there, everyone. We have a hodgepodge of a show this week, another OG edition of the bandwagon, at least for the first half of the show. Maybe at the end, we might get Raymond S. Cashington III, Esquire, the Reverend himself. We'll, we'll see what happens there. But for now, I am once again, oh, I should introduce myself. I, I introduced Patrick Rada, the curmudgeon. I'm the angry old man. I'm the dictator. I am the I'm the, the man who rules with an iron fist over the rundown of bandwagon nerds. And I am joined by the whiny McWhiny pants, Mr. Saturday Night, who got all like indignant because I joked with him a little bit about the rundown during the middle of the week, Mr. PC Tunney. I think we were both joking more than we uh let on with everybody else there. But Patrick, I got you um you know how we there's like a suggestion box at like work you can put them up and stuff like that. Yep. Instead, we're gonna get you a suggestion cup so that you can ready yourself for the suggestions that we send your way. <laughs> I mean, as you've noted, I'm just gonna ignore them. So like, you can suggest all you want. Heck, I sometimes I listen, like occasionally. <laughs> like your your bullet point made it. That's yeah, a, exactly. And, and, it's, it. and it's not like, hey, guys, She-Hulk, this is what we're going to talk about. No, PC Tony wants to talk about She-Hulk. So basically, we're going to get to that point of the show, and Patrick will be like, okay, Tony, you want to talk about it? What the fuck do you want to talk about? And you know it because you're laughing your ass off right now. And I still think it's hilarious. So Oh, it was very – I, you know, I just I, – I tell it like it is. I tell it like it is. And, uh, and we are going to talk a little bit of She-Hulk today. Before we get to like what the rundown of the show is going to be, uh, we do need to introduce the other OG member of the bandwagon, the lawyer himself, Mr. David Ungar, king of post-production. How are you, sir? Doing well. I- I'm kind of curious as to uh, what Tony wants to talk about as well on She-Hulk, so I'm, I'm in. I don't know. I did share with you at least the thing that I specifically want to talk about, so I think that, that that's worthwhile and worth noting, even even if it isn't necessarily 
I don't, I don't know that it was necessarily a groundbreaking thing, but it is an exciting thing to see, even if it is subtly laid out there. But, uh, you know, it's been, it's been kind of, it's been quite a weekend. Uh, I've been following the sports ball a lot this weekend. Watched, watched a lot of football, watched some bad football, by the way, I, I attended in person a, uh, a, a university of Massachusetts football game, uh, the other day versus the mighty Stony Brook Seawolves. And let's just say, gentlemen, that um, it was not good football to watch. It um, could have been the Stony Brook Sea Monkeys. So at least, you know, there's Al- Al- Alabama, Alabama, Auburn. It was not Alabama, Auburn circa 2013. It was not. It was it was more like, uh, well, UMass versus Stony Brook. I don't know what you would expect. And you guys won. But so there you go. We did win. We did win. And uh and that's always nice. You know, victories are good. But I don't know. I you know, we're recording here on a Sunday. We're 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 killing time until my beloved Chicago Bears inevitably march towards the buzzsaw that is Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers as they will after scoring all of like what three points last week against Minnesota will probably score 32. Oh, Tony's going with 25. No, they had seven last week. Oh, they scored seven. You scored a yeah, touchdown. Don't, don't fucking short. That's that's more than 50% of our points you shorted us. Oh, yeah, my bad. Might as well have been three. Right? No, well, seven, and, damn it. <laughs> and I know this is a nerd podcast, but just to talk sports a little bit, I, I it's really unfortunate. I was watching, co- you know, watching a lot of college football yesterday, and there are like five good in college football and a lot of just that oh. this season. Like I think, just, like I think there's one team and everybody else though. I think Georgia is way better than everybody else. Yeah, Georgia's ridiculous. Even Alabama they're better know, than. Yeah. Alabama well, Alabama doesn't feel quite right this year. They didn't feel quite right last year. They just feel like they've lost a step. Michigan was you know, it hasn't played anybody. Ohio State destroyed Toledo. Ridiculous. Uh, Wisconsin in the Big Ten is, is kind of a smoke and mirrors team. Like I think they're going to get exposed next week. Even though, as, as people like to point out, like, Ohio State, Wisconsin, big deal. No, it's not. It's going to be a reminder that the Notre Dame is a joke, as it always is. Every year, Notre Dame gets up as like the year they're back. Notre Dame and Texas. Those are the like every back. And I don't know, maybe USC school. Oh, timeout. So yeah, all of that is to say that there's really about one or two good college football teams, and that's it. And that sucks because I really like college football. Uh, I like I prefer college sports to pro sports anyway. Just uh, the illusion of amateurism, whether you like it or not. Uh, I will say I appreciate the uh, the crisp nature of a of an NFL football game. Like there, there's very rare that an NFL football game doesn't end on time. And that's awesome. If you enjoy podcasts about the NFL, tune into Chairshot NFL on Thursdays, right on Chairshot Radio Network. Sorry, I couldn't pass up the synergy there. Yeah, you should you should take you should take advantage of the opportunity. Um but anyway, let's see what else did I try to do? I I tried I tried to improve uh my microphone uh situation over here on the podcasting and a friend of mine loaned me a bunch of equipment and stuff and I'm short one cable. And, and so like I sit so there going through all this stuff I was like, oh this is missing. So I gotta text them and be like, hey, 
look around your place for the cable that I need to actually plug the mixer into a computer. Because uh, I want to sound like Dave. Dave, you've just got that rich, old man lawyer voice that sounds so nice. He's called uh, you old. He, he wrapped a fucking diss inside of two compliments. Well, he's, like, like, that's he's like, that's that's like, like come here, Dave. Here's your peanut butter medicine. Oh, the yeah, peanut butter box. That's <laughs> it's like yeah, hiding a pill in peanut butter. Uh, it's 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 uh it's the O'Dowd. It's the way. This is the way with Patrick. It is the way. It's so okay. I, enough enough uh, enough pointless banter. Uh, as I'm sure, as Demarco listens to this podcast, he's clenching his fists. So deal hi, with, Greg. Deal with it, Greg. You rewind five minutes and listen to it again. Damn it. <laughs> Um, we are going to talk about a, uh, a much more impactful episode of Umbrella Academy as we get to the Pendleton episode of season three. Taking a visit to the trailer park. As we noted, Tony wants to talk about She-Hulk, so we're going to talk about She-Hulk. So, just a little bit of everything. Some Disney news, uh, some sequel news. And then, hopefully, Ray Cash comes to the show. See? Because... Breach. Because they're... You know, Tony talked about, you know, kind of some some stirring, some some friction between us over over the She-Hulk thing, like some imagined friction. Uh, there there was a there was a debate, a spirited debate that took place on the old bandwagon nerds DM chat, where Ray and I disagreed very vehemently over something, and so I was like, okay, we'll talk about it on the show. Now, guess who can't make the show? Convenient. I'm just saying, convenient if he doesn't make the show. But we're still going to talk. We're it's like challenging somebody to a fight and not showing up, man. You know that that's really that's, what it that's is. That's true. What's wrong, McFly? You chicken? Nobody calls me chicken. And we're going to talk some villains. We're going to talk about villains today on the bandwagon, and uh, I'm I'm kind of excited about it. like what makes an A-list villain. So before we get into any and all of that. We gotta get to we gotta get to the Umbrella Academy season three episode nine penultimate episode after kind of a low sort of interlude episode last week on Umbrella Academy get to this week and this week we get not one but two deaths we get a betrayal and we get the entire family quote-unquote Hargreaves family, heading off through the Oblivion Corridor to take on this Guardian. Let's start with the two big pieces of news. Um, one, I got to give credit where credit is due to David Ungar. You were right. Uh, I also want to say I was right uh, on a different point, as I had predicted Allison was the one that Hargreaves was talking to, that Reginald Hargreaves was talking to in the room. That seemed pretty obvious. But I had said that... Uh, Luther was not going to die. I saw. I thought it would be his beautiful bride. Sadly, I was wrong. It was. It was Luther, and I gotta say, it was. Uh, it was well done. I did. I saw it coming. Basically, when he got stabbed in the back. So, Dave, let's start with you. Your reaction, because this this whole episode really centers around Reginald trying to convince the remaining Sparrow and Umbrellas to go through this corridor to try and say, quote, you know, to try and save the universe. And, uh, and really it's the two big twists at the end that, that 
hold, you know, hold the episode. So to you, your thoughts on being right. Congratulations. Uh, I guess it doesn't make me feel much better, but, uh, I, yeah, this, like we said last week, we knew this episode would be much more impactful than it was. And, uh, we know we, we learned about that this version of Reginald Hargreaves, which may be, you know, maybe it is the same version in alternate timelines, who knows, but, um, clearly not what he represented himself to be somebody with an ulterior motive, somebody presumably from the other side of the white Buffalo corridor. You know, we find out that there's a portal that he built the hotel around that you know, apparently he thinks can protect them from this coming oblivion. Um, I don't know about that, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big episode with the whole, uh, the big vote that goes down, you know, trying to get, you know, you need seven people to ring the seven bells to fend off the apocalypse Apo- Allison, you know, faking like she had a change of heart when she's really in it, you know, up to her ears with uh, whatever Reginald is doing. Um, yeah. Luther is a casualty. Klaus, also the other casualty, which I, you know, that was kind of like a walking dead head fake a little bit, wasn't it? It's like, well, you know, oh, you know, Luther dies and then you're thinking, okay, it's going to be somebody different. Everybody's going in there and then, and then the dad stabs Klaus literally and another guy in the back. What was, do you guys think there's any significance? Klaus basically jumped onto the Oh yeah, line. absolutely. Klaus ain't staying dead. No. He taught Klaus how to use his powers. Like, and so the first, like, Klaus killed himself intentionally before he can get evaporated from existence so that he can go where he goes when he dies. Like, Reginald set this up. So I'll be interested to see what happens to Klaus, but I by no means think that Klaus is out of this game no, at all. And you would think Reginald would know that because he taught him how to do it. So there's something, something afoot there. You know, they're all, they're going to face off against this crazy guardian on the other side of this this wall um which is going to be fascinating but yeah luther the big the big casualty and you know i the beginning of the episode showing him on the moon and just kind of like how his dad just dicked him over there and it kind of it was definitely foreshadowing you know this this reconciliatory moment at the end that goes of course horribly wrong and rest in peace luther that really sucks but yeah i mean i don't i, I mean clearly not everything is what it seems to be right now. And there's some ulterior motive going on with whatever the hell Reginald is. I guess we're going to find out more next episode. Well, and I, and I think we have forgotten what Reginald was like. It's been revealed that he's not human right. before. Like, this right. isn't new. So it's just, it was one of those things. I, I just, I kept, I kept thinking for sure it was going to be Sloan. that Sloan was going to be the death that rallied Luther back to Reginald. And so when that didn't happen that way, and again, it kind of makes sense. We've talked about Luther as a character, like that kind of, he's the, he's kind of the heart of, of the Umbrella Academy. He's the lovable one. He's the one that nobody has any real beef with. Like there's never been any real beef with, with Luther. He's just always been, he's actually kind of been the one that gets looked overlooked a little bit almost by the other umbrellas at different times throughout the series. And so for him to die and that'd be the rallying point for everyone that, you know, convinces Diego convinces five, actually five still isn't convinced. Like five literally has got to be like pulled in kicking and screaming. Like he still knows that this isn't right. Like he is just like you. He's like, something is up. And five knows about Allison. 
he got the recollection at the end of the episode that Allison was the one who right, cut the figured deal it out. Yeah. yeah. But you could see it from the get go with the way Allison was behaving. Like, and and um and Victor was on to it too. Victor's like, wait a second, this woman was like, I wish you were dead, and I will never forgive you. And suddenly, suddenly she's all sweet, and I was drunk and angry. No, you weren't. And and so, you know, I really, I've really grown to dislike Allison as a character. I've really grown to like feel like she's an antagonist that didn't need to be, but but here we are, and, and right. so I guess I'm kind of stuck. No, you're right. I I understand. Exactly. I understand you're grieving, you know, and you're hurting, and you're all and you're doing all that, but you don't undercut your entire family and everybody who's ever mattered and everybody who's ever supported you just because you can't handle your own shit. And that's really what this season has turned into for her. And so, yeah, I, I was like, you was like, this is bullshit. There's no way somebody does a 180 like that. Just my wife, she doesn't, she doesn't like Allison at all. So she's, she's got to the, right. she's like you, Tony. She's already seen the end of it. So she's, you know, she's not an Allison fan either, which makes probably unanimous among the four of us. Right. I used to be okay with Allison. I used to like her too. Like this season has really she was, this season has really changed how I feel about yeah, that. Yeah, she character. was sympathetic the first like especially season two where she's being, you know, the subject of racism and all that stuff. That's different. This is like right. you're nobody's victim anymore. Right. And so yeah, we'll have to see how that all plays out. I did like that we got a little bit more and it, it feels like a million years since we knew uh, Luther was on the moon. So to kind of see what his life was like on the moon, though, that border thing, I was like, what's up with the, with, what's up with the border? Why, like, yeah. Who's Abigail Har- Hargreaves? Who was that in the capsule? Right. Tony? Oh, uh, Tony. <laughs> I will say that Abigail Hargreaves. Luke's father. Darth Vader's Luke's father, Lisa, damn it. We're always there. So we'll 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 figure it out. I'm sure we'll we'll learn at some point. Um, what else did I really like? I I I love that Ben kind of was like, no, I, I'm back to the back to the like the protecting myself. Ben, kind of close that close that shell back up. Uh, much to Klaus's disappointment, that was that was sad for him. But uh, and he jumped at the opportunity to to go through the corridor. Like there was, there was no question for him. So yeah, uh, it is setting up for a big finale and that finale will take place and we'll review it next week on episode 150. Can't believe we're at 150 episodes. I can't believe that the chair shot radio network that Greg DeMarco and PC Tunney have allowed this tomfoolery to go on. For 150 episodes, it's, I it's encourage it. impressive. I, I encourage it. It's well known. I, 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 lost, a, I lost money on that seven-hour show. Let's have a seven-hour show next week. Seven-hour show. We'll have a throwback show. We'll have a We're throwback. Recap we'll, everything we've talked about for the last 140. No, I think next week let's do two project shows. We can do Nerdomania and uh, and 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 call it good, man. And review Umbrella Academy season finale and. Maybe even we'll binge watch all of Lock and Key season three. Greg will love this episode. It'll be fantastic. We'll re. We'll, I'll tell you what. We'll rewatch Wandavision too, yeah. as well, and break down Wandavision. 
uh, all over again as well. We'll just we'll do it all. We'll do it all. We'll but, do uh, we'll do a live watch along of Rise of Skywalker just to watch Patrick lose his shit for two and a half hours. It'd be well, great. I, no, no. See, I I actually still like doing this show. So <laughs> let's uh, let's keep doing this show. Don't don't work to get me off of the show. I, maybe that's the secret. Is that is that it, Dave? Are you trying? To supplant me. I'm just looking for know. ways that we can stretch this out to like a 12 hour podcast, you know, like a live, yeah. live 12 hour podcast where we just sit around and talk about shit for 12 hours. Ladies and yeah, gentlemen, I don't, I don't have that. Tune in immediately after this show for the beginning of episode 150, a week long celebration of bandwagon nerds. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That will not be a thing that happens. What will happen on episode 150 is we will definitely put a bow on season three of Umbrella Academy, and until then, uh, we're gonna we're gonna put a wrap today on on episode what is it eight nine, nine. whatever it is nine nine as we head into ten, and we'll go with that. We'll go into our first commercial break. When we come back, Dave, we're gonna revisit the trailer park. So get that banjo music queued up. Is trailer parks are exciting? Yep, that's right. Put it away. And as Tony puts his banjos away, we're going to go to our commercial. You're listening to Bandwagon Nerds here on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of the ChairShot.com. This is your boy, Kenny Killer, telling you to make sure you check out TheChairShot.com, bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore. Everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out. TheChairShot.com All right. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Bandwagon Nerds. We just got done regaling our thoughts on Episode 9 from Season 3 of Umbrella Academy. Usually after our first commercial break, we got to take a little visit to the trailer park. And today is no different. Dave, I need you. To do me a favor and play that beautiful banjo. Here we are. Welcome back to the trailer park, gentlemen. I got four trailers today. Two of them I'm actually very interested in talking about. Um, actually, three of them I'm really interested in talking about. But the first one I put on here, I couldn't resist putting it on here because my mind still is trying to wrap my brain is still trying to wrap itself around this trailer. So, sci-fi. It's it's spooky season now, horror season out there in in the entertainment world, and sci-fi has put out a trailer for a new horror movie that is coming in October for sci-fi set in the bring it on cheerleading universe titled bring it on cheer or die. And I, let me get this out of the way. I got to give props to the people making this movie and, and the trailer in that in the middle of the trailer, it's like, bring it on, cheer or die. And then it follows up with a line that says, yes, 
that bring it on. So for those of you who are amongst the uninitiated, Bring It On has been this long-standing series that originally starred uh, Gabby Union. Not, not, Gabby Union was and uh, uh, Kirsten Dunst was was the was, were the very first Bring It On cheerleading. It was it's based around cheerleading competition, the Toros. Just Kirsten Kirsten Dunst um, school. I can't remember who Gabby Union's um, cheer squad was, but basically you learn that the uh, the white cheerleading school has been stealing all of their trophy winning, award winning cheer moves and cheers from this inner inner city black school, like primary black school. It's like a, it's all about like it's all this racism, cultural appropriation stuff, and. This movie, which was a moderate hit in the late 90s, early 2000s, spawned surprisingly a large number of sequels. Like Hayden Penitieri was in one. Uh, it's It's been around forever. It's kind of, it's it's just been around for a really long time. And somehow, someway, we are now getting somebody in a, and we're, we're, the school's mascot, by the way, are now the Diablos. And there's somebody in a Diablo costume walking around with a knife, stabbing people to a cheer competition. Now, this is clearly a horror comedy. It's clearly tongue-in-cheek slasher hilarity. But in a million years, PC Tony, did you ever dream that the Bring It On franchise would dip its toe into the horror genre? You know, let me answer that question in a really funny way, because Don Draper's character is about to get into an elevator with... um... I think the guy's name was Peter on the show. And Peter's like, I think you're a real jerk. And Don Draper goes, that's funny. I don't think about you much at all. And that's kind of how I feel about Bring It On. I just don't really think about it much. Um, but I do want to compliment the people that are putting this out there. Because this checks a lot of fucking boxes. Horror, <laughs> check. Horror, check. Nostalgic Bring It On fans, check. Cheerleading fans, check. Like the funny... Uh, horror like uh, spoofs of of um, scream fans check right teenagers check this checks a lot of fucking boxes so I think they're gonna have a lot of eyeballs on this but you talking about Hayden Panettiere how there's a there's a few other heavy hitting ladies from the original movie Eliza Dushku Christina yep. Milian and Rihanna was also in the first oh wow Rihanna was in the first one damn I didn't know that Bip, bam boom so Dave, I I I believe you have the entire Bring It On collection, both on Blu-ray and digitally, uh, and that you watch them every night. So why don't you tell us how is the Bring It On horror movie gonna how's it, how's it gonna go in the Ungar household? How many times are you gonna watch? It? Seven, eight, twelve? Well, I'll put it I'll put it this way, man. I I think that the notion of cheerleaders getting massacred will go over very well with my wife. I think she would be yeah she's smiling at me right now like yes. <laughs> bring that, bring that on, you know, so that, but, uh, the fact that there's a bring it on universe of any sort is, is mildly disturbing, uh, to, you know, <laughs> well, be I honest just, with you. There, there have been four so far. There's been four bring it on movies. This is the fifth bring it on movie. And it's like the Tokyo drift of bring it on, like just completely different from everything we've seen so far. <laughs> I can see the the quote in the newspaper, the headline: Dave Ungar on on Bring It On. Dot dash disturbing. Mildly, mildly oh, so, but sorry, uh, maybe there's. I lied. There's five. We've got we've got Bring It On. We've got Bring It On again. We've got 
Bring It On, In It to Win It. We've got Bring It On, Fight to the Finish. We've got Bring It On Worldwide, hashtag Cheer Smack. How did that one not make a bunch of money? How did how did not how did I not know about that one? And then the latest edition edition, which does have Missy Pyle in it apparently, but bring it on, cheer or die. How do we not so, bring it on, bring it back? I mean, that seems like a, a good title for a movie that somebody's missing the boat on. Yeah, I just I, I don't know. I got nothing. Um uh, I just I, yeah, I, I Can I make a prediction? Make a prediction. This goes so well that around, not this coming, but the following year's WrestleMania season, the Bring It On universe pairs with the WWE to bring us, oh, bring it on, just bring it. Uh, we couldn't get the rock so for WrestleMania, so we'll do this instead. Let's, let, yeah, no, we're done. We're done. No, 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 no. No, we're not. We're not. not no, no, no. This is not, I mean, this if, is not happening. If I, if nope. I events, you want to talk Bring it on. And fair, fair. It was a horror movie. It fits with, you know, the genres that we cover on this program. I did want to roast this sh- this movie a little bit. I'll, I'll own that there were some ulterior motives to cheer or die. Let's move on to a trailer that I picked out, mostly because it's based on a Stephen King short story. The dogs are now excited. I get scared if you say Stephen King. Cujo. They're, they're big they, Cujo they, fans over there. They are there. definitely are Cujo happy. fans. They watched Pet Cemetery last night. Or are they scared? They did. They, they probably watched Pet Cemetery too if they were scared. Um, yeah, that is disturbing and scary. It's a bad, bad movie. Like a um, but anyway, guy. I picked this. I, I picked this trailer. One, it debuted. I think the trailer itself looks very, very interesting. So it's called Mister Harrigan's Phone. It is a. The trailer is really interesting because it starts out, looks like it's going to be another one of these sort of typical coming of age tales of a, of a troubled teenage boy who befriends a, an older gentleman who either lives alone or lives with somebody. Uh, and their friendship, you know, seems to kind of help the young man adjust to high school. He's the kids bullied in high school or whatever. But at the end of the day, uh, the old man dies and Oh, I'm sorry. I, I got to back up. So in this building friendship, the, the kid gives the old man a, a cell phone, uh, the cell phone and, and the old man is like learning how to use her weather when he like suddenly passes away. Uh, the kid puts the phone with the old man in his coffin. He is buried with the cell phone. The kid continues to get horribly bullied at school. So he calls the phone basically for comfort, like leaves a voicemail with this dead old guy's um, with this guy's voicemail and then things start happening to the people who have wronged this kid and he starts getting messages and calls from Mr. Harrigan's phone and it's based like I said it's based on a story by Stephen King I am interested in this it is going to show up it's premiering on Netflix so it's streamable you don't have to go to the theater to see it I think it looks really really good um, I'm actually forgetting who played uh, or who's playing the older, the old. Isn't that Donald Pleasance? Donald. Donald Pleasance. Or Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland. Sutherland. Pleasance yeah. is from Halloween. Sorry. Yes. Got the first name right. Thank you, Tony. And so. Well, you guys got it out before I could. Um, so, Dave, I'll start with you. Um, your thoughts on just this trailer, whether it's got you at any level peaked. 
Donald Sutherland alone is, has really embraced playing a creepy old guy um, in many, many ways, and he, and he does it very, well, very, very well in this trailer as well. Yeah, this one, unlike, uh, you know, all the tongue-in-cheek stuff about cheer or die notwithstanding, uh, this one I'm definitely interested in because this one's got, you know, it's got that Stephen King vibe. It's it's a unique story. It's, uh, you know, like like you're saying, Pat, it's a kid getting bullied who takes solace in the comfort and companionship of this old man and, and then has to deal with his sudden passing. But, yeah, it, it, it's got all the Stephen, you know, checks all those Stephen King boxes that you'd want, supernatural, out there. Uh, revenge motivated you know a lot of the things that make the king stories work so well this one's got all of them you know in it and donald sutherland and the kid is he was from uh it right he was um uh the kid who's getting bullied he was an it he was a uh, bet not ben I, I forget who he he's was. uh not georgie he's georgie's brother right he's bill he's bill Denver, bill yeah yeah so i i like him as an actor this looks like definitely one that'll be worth checking out uh, right around what a few weeks before Halloween, so perfect timing. Creepy. Uh, this one's definitely one I'm interested. In. I, this one I'd actually probably go see in the theaters. It has me that interested. So great choice. I mean, well, we know we, we know Tony. Well, you won't see it in the theater, even if it was in the theater, because it won't be good for 3D. But in terms of a film, I, and and I know you're not like anti horror or suspenseful, but it's not necessarily the first thing you go to check out. What did you think of this trailer? I first would say that this kind of falls more into like a thriller kind of thing too, a, a supernatural thriller as opposed to, I don't know if it's so much a horror, like you could get this same kind of suspense and thrill with like a, a super good, you know, crime drama or something like that. But it's funny, I'm watching the, the trailer and I had no idea what it was for, what it was about, who it was in, you know, I had no idea this was even out there to be honest with you until we had shared this. And I'm like, oh, what is this? Another like Finding Forrester? Is that Sean Connery? And right. then I'm like, oh, and then and then the guy they nickname his phone, and he nicknames the phone what Pirate King or something like that. Yes. And I'm like, okay, this dude, there's way this here's this dude's a fucking old ass onion. There is so many layers to this motherfucker, and we're about to find out. And then you kind of, and then I'm like, what was the one they just had with? Um, was it the Black Phone or something like that? The one with uh, Ethan Hawke, right? Yeah. So I'm like, oh, here's a different spin on it. And then I'm like, oh, is this a buried alive thing? Is this guy alive? And then I'm like, no way. So we got a supernatural thriller on our hands, Donald Sutherland. And and it looks like the the, the kid is casted pretty well, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. So, yeah, I'm not going to the theater to see this. No, um, a little too scary for me to be in the dark watching this movie. So I would say 8 a.m. with some breakfast, with all the you know shades open, plenty of sunshine, would check this one out. You'll watch it while you're reading. Watch it while you're reading. Yeah, watch it while you're reading the rundown, right, Tony? No, that's for breakfast. That's for at the diner. So, well, and you don't have to go to the theater to watch it. You don't. Like I said, it looks like it's a direct to Netflix uh, feature. It'll probably make an appearance in the theater because Netflix does do that. But yeah, I'm I'm all in for that. I love Halloween. I love spooky season. Spooky season gets you some great, great movies uh, and some stuff out there that maybe you wouldn't have considered. Do you yeah. have a go? To, do you have a Halloween movie you watch every year? The original Halloween movie is my all-time favorite horror movie on the planet. Um, and kind of what you allude to, Tony. You know, it's it's John Carpenter at his best made some of the just absolute perfect horror films that you could see out there. Whether it's The Thing, 
whether it's Halloween, like he was just, he was on a roll. And uh, the thing about Halloween, the original Halloween that I will always appreciate is the amount of tension that's built before anyone's ever actually killed. Because you follow Jamie Lee Curtis, and I've said this millions of times, you follow Jamie Lee Curtis around getting a sense of her life as she is in Haddonfield as a teenager. And he's just like Carpenter was just very, very clever in the way he placed Michael Myers everywhere in that movie. If you're looking for him before he ever starts doing his rampage, you know, and some of them are over like, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis looks out a window. He's standing there. She looks back at the classroom. She looks back. He's gone. But then there's other times where she's walking home from school and the car drives by that he stole or he's standing off to the left or right, just at the at the lot like where laundry is driving are drying, and it's just so well done and it's so clever. And that part of it is what really heightens then the big finale when he just won't go down. No matter how you try, like how hard they try to kill him, no matter what they do, he just won't go down. And it's amazing. I love, 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 love Halloween. Top, I, top I, horror movie for me every year. Do you, so do you watch it, try to watch it every every Halloween season? Yeah, absolutely, so my, every time. My, mine's Beetlejuice. Dave, do you have one quick? Probably, I'd say, yeah, Halloween's a big one. Uh, Exorcist is probably the other one that, you know, if I really want to be disturbed, that's where I go. Dave, going into the deeper darkest, you know, the thing about The Exorcist is that movie's still groundbreaking today. Like... You can watch that one today, and it still gives you the heebie-jeebies. I do not find that movie silly at all. No, when you when you understand what the movie's about, and that you know that that there is a factual basis for it, then it kind of starts getting into the you know places of your brain where you don't want to go. So, I mean, modern generation looks and says, "This is corny. What is this fucking soup that she's spitting up?" You know, they don't get the real, the bigger picture in that thing. So, excellent. All right, well, let's let's shift gears. We're going to go to something fun. This was a trailer that dropped this week that I was really uh, – I didn't even know they were making this movie. Uh, but this trailer comes across my stream, and it's another uh, – I'm trying to see who's who's actually behind it. Miramax is, is bringing this one to us. John Hamm is starring in a new Fletch movie titled Confess Fletch. This is a reboot, it would appear, not a not a sequel or anything like that. Uh, and so for those of you who are fans of the old Chevy Chase movie, like I, I'm willing to bet Dave is is might even be a little pre-mad over this. Like I'm sure he, he's a little uncertain how it's gonna go. Uh, allegedly these this movie is gonna be a little bit closer to the books. And for those of you who don't know, Fletch is an investigative retor- reporter who basically gets him it's a comedy it's it's satirical but he he gets himself into all of these different scenarios and situations by taking on various roles and identities and disguising himself and and he's just kind of funny and goofy about it and in this particular trailer it appears that he is being tasked with um helping investigate some art thievery and finds himself accused of multiple murders and so tries to prove his innocence and hilarity ensues. I got to tell you guys, when I saw the title of this, I wasn't sure, but I kind of like the way John Hamm is playing this uh, in the trailer. And so I, 
I will I will share. I I was okay with the Chevy Chase Flash movie, Fletch movies. I was not a big fan, so I also don't have a, a strong bias there. But I think John Hamm is playing it in his own way that is unique, and I hope he can catch on because I think it looks pretty good. Dave, I'm gonna start with you. What are your thoughts? You you've already got the whole hum face on it, so yeah, I. Fletch is not one of my Fletch is not one of my go to franchises. It was it was good, but you know Chevy. Well, and some do others, you call it a Do you call it a franchise? Well, I guess you have to now. Bombed? If we're calling Bring It well, On a franchise, <laughs> Bring It On has six movies, I dude. I don't. I, Fletch I, had two, and the sequel was so bad that they didn't make any more. Yeah, I I just I never really I never really. Th- saw that there was a, a a space in the market to bring this back at, at this point i mean i do like you know john ham get um you know getting stuff other than progressive commercials that that's encouraging to see so um but you don't like john ham's flow uh well it's all right go with the flow go with the flow um no nah, i think i think this will be i don't know <laughs> And that's that's not even a spiteful boo. You guys both deserve that boo. Like you know you do. Tony was celebrating it because he knew he earned it. Good job, PC. Um, I you know I don't I didn't f- feel anything with this trailer that says yeah I got to go check this out. But okay. Wow, I'm like looking for I'm looking for screenings of this. Like I'm ready to go. I'm I'm surprised with it. Tony, go ahead. Yeah, you know it's funny because <clears throat> we put this in the in the. Uh... I basically you could call it the production thread of the show, you know, where we right. kind of work work everything out every week, and then Patrick has to basically go ahead and find needles in the haystack that we did and 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 put them in there in the right order. Or Dave some weeks, but I was like, oh, a Fletch movie, and I didn't really like either of them, and I've really grown to dislike Chevy Chase as a person and everything else. So I was like, oh, and then you start bringing this up and. Uh, once again, I missed, I didn't watch this one this morning. I don't know how that happened and I missed it. I've watched everything else we've been talking about. So it was a very happy accident that I mentioned John Hamm um, and Mad Men because he's back with John Slattery in this film and their chemistry is ridiculous. And I think a modern day version of this done right, especially you talk about John Hamm and his range of being able to play a character like him, like someone in Mad Men. And now this kind of comedic detective thing, I, I'm going to watch this. I really am. I didn't think I would because I made fun of it, but I, I watching the trailer. I like the, it's always about casting to me, unless there's 3D involved. So, well, and let's talk about this cast a little bit because you mentioned John Slattery, Kyle McLaughlin, hell of an actor. Uh, Marsha Gay Harden yep. is a terrific actor. Uh, Roy Wood Jr. is is, is the is a police officer um, that's like investigating. Awesome and. Um, Actually, I gotta say, my favorite my favorite line out of the whole trailer is is Kyle McLaughlin uh, as his as as his publisher, and it's something along the lines of um, if if you're gonna get if you're gonna if you're gonna be found guilty or arrested for murder, just make sure you get a good exclusive or something like that. Like it's just totally like this bottom line, like uh, out for, out for himself sort of of uh, of guy. So I'm yeah I'm. I'm all in. I think this looks a lot of fun. Uh, I'm hoping that it, I got to see when it actually hits theaters because I would love to do like a back to back and try to watch it. And then even though it's completely a different sort of comedy clerks three, 
uh, is is floating around there. Hit hit them both. Do like a comedy afternoon. I feel like that'd be the way to go. So yes, conf- confess, Fletch, thumbs up to me. Sounds like Dave's gonna need to need to have some convincing. Tony's got a thumbs up. Let's move on to our last trailer, and this is actually a trailer that premiered a couple of weeks ago, and I, I've been holding off on it because I've been hoping against hope that we could get Aesop Mitchell on to actually talk about it, and that's the uh, the Glass Onion trailer, which is the sequel to Knives Out, bringing back Daniel Craig, and another huge cast of Hollywood big timers to do another Agatha Christie-esque murder mystery only with a lot of biting satirical comedy involved as well by ryan johnson and again let's before we even get into this let's go over the names here so daniel craig edward norton kate hudson dave batista jessica henwood madeline klein ethan hawk katherine hahn janelle monet leslie odom jr just to name a few big time cast first of all did you guys all see knives out and if you haven't seen knives out do yourself dave i'm telling you i'm telling you straight up you need to watch this movie like i feel like you need to jump on amazon prime this afternoon and watch knives out it's that good and i I, it's very it's it's tightly done it's very very uh it's very, very smart. It's just a very smart, biting comedy mystery. It's it's got all these terrific elements. It's so good, so so good. And you know, Aesop was the one in particular was really excited about this one. This seeing Knives Out on Amazon Prime made me then want to turn around and see this in a theater. Like that's how good it looks. So you haven't seen the you haven't seen the first one. You've only seen the the trailers. I'm assuming. So I'm gonna go over to Tony first. He nodded on the Knives Out said he saw it so let's let's hear from you i I hope you're in because i'm in oh yeah i mean i think this could be a very interesting friend we talked about franchises today and and universes and stuff like this is a you you can just continue to add twists and turns and tell uh the same type of story in a different way right the murder mystery like is it family is it co-workers is it oddly connected like a movie magnolia is it whatever you know i mean you can have whatever quirky way you want to do this and then when you have, you literally, the first one was so fucking good. And I think this one could be as good, maybe better, uh, but I don't know. I'm hoping it's just in that realm right. that you'll continue to have A-list people that were going to come on and want to work and do this kind of, of thing, right? I mean, I think this is something extremely fun to have this ensemble cast of amazing stars, right? So I'm I'm looking forward to it. And once again, it checks a lot of boxes because you're bringing in so many different demographics of unbelievably famous, popular money-making actors and actresses. Thousand percent. Dave, what did you think about the trailer and what can I do to get you to see knives out? Uh, I like the trailer. I mean, it's got a huge, like you said, all-star cast easily. I think we actually own the movie. I think I bought it. My wife's watched it. So if we, we might already have it. I just have to sit down and you don't have to convince me much of it. I've, it's been something I've been meaning to watch. I just haven't got to it yet. So, uh, but the trailer looks, if the trailer is half as good as the first movie was, then yeah, this, this looks like something that would be entertaining and fun to watch. So yeah, I I will, uh, I will definitely be checking the original one out and, and more than likely going to check this one out too. I mean, 
you can't fail with a cast like that, you know. And they're all some of my favorites: Daniel Craig, Bautista, people like that. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about the part of the trailer where Bautista? They're like, really? And then he pulls the gun out of his fucking speedo and shoots it there. He's like, "Yep, really." And he puts a pen really? in. I'm like, oh, he's gonna shine in this fucking movie. I, I think he's gonna be the underdog kind of uh, low. People don't think as much of him as an actor as they do some of these bigger people. And I think they're going to see that, you know, he looks like he got put in a really good role, but I bet you're going to see some really good spots where he shows his acting skills. It really does blow my mind. Like, you know, we're part of a wrestling podcasting network, which is why pro wrestling, you know, makes its way into bandwagon nerds all the time. But, you know, in in the annals of actors that have gone from the field of professional wrestling and have moved into acting you know, The Rock, I think people could see right away. That guy had star potential from the get-go. John Cena, I think people were like, kind of maybe. And then he hit a big with Peacemaker, and that's really helped him take off. But Dave Batista, of, of of all the people, I was like, I mean, I guess we'll see what happens. And, and, you know, and part of it, I think, Tony, goes to what you said. It's the right fit. But because he, he gets his big, big break. Because he'd been in stuff before, and he'd always played, like, the thug. Um, kind of a lot like Kevin Nash. Like, Kevin Nash gets put in roles to play the thug in a lot of ways until he got in um, in that Sandler movie. Uh, uh, Longest, Longest Yard. Yard. I know, Longest you know, I Yard. Think, yeah, the problem, I think Kevin, if Kevin Nash was as short as Dave Bautista, I think Kevin Nash would have a lot more acting roles. I oh, think yeah, it's sure. a lot absolutely. harder. That, that 6'9", 6'10", is so much harder than that 6'4", to 6'6", Aaron. But, but Dave Batista gets he gets cast in he gets cast in Guardians of the Galaxy he gets to play Drax he gets cast in a comedic tough guy role and he hits it out of the park really like hits it out of the park and and when he did that suddenly like like you see him getting all these other opportunities in these other great roles. I could just hear him when you said he hits it out of the park, Dave Batista going into Drax going, ha ha ha, Drax does not play baseball. Right. Yeah, he's just it's it, and that's the thing is he's he he's made that character so iconic that nobody else can play it, right? Like you can't have you can't recast Drax. Yeah, and, and Drax from the comics is a pretty big departure from the way he's portrayed. You know, Drax a destroyer in the comics is not very comedic. Uh, it, yeah, he's very somber. Very, very. That's that's putting if, it mildly. But you, what, yeah, you look at how Bautista took that character, made it his own, and a big reason why Guardians came out of nowhere was his doing. I mean, I never. Obviously, I'm the 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 horrible, uh, never really read any comics kind of bandwagon nerd here. But for you guys, what would it be like now if you went back and read some of the best stories involving Drax, but only you read it with Dave Batista's voice in mind and took a little bit of more comedic humor to it? Could you apply that to anything? Would it be hilarious to you? It would in the right context, but it like they lean so much more into the loss of his family as a character in the comic books that it's uh, hard. Like it's really hard to. Uh, so what? To if see what po- so he's passed that or he's passed that loss already when the Guardians of the Galaxy is going then, correct? Obviously. Well, I mean That's the character motivation, in, the, isn't in the movies. Yeah, right? his, his motivation is he's driven to find uh Ronin at the time. Right. And then then Ronin translates to Thanos because he he loses his, his family. But they, they you know, James Gunn very cleverly leans into that everything about Drax's people is literal. 
and plays that for laughs in a way that's not done in the comics. In the comics, it's you know it's very very much driven. And probably my favorite Guardians of the Galaxy moment in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two is when Mantis actually experiences his grief uh, when she's sitting next to him because it takes this character that we've all been laughing at, you know, ha ha, you know, he, you know, he talks even with Mantis, he talks about how she's ugly, but then you still see that there's that, that undertone of melancholy. That's part of it. That's very, very well done in the film that it's, it's just, he, that's not the character he is in the comics. And, the, and this is why when people get hung up on canon for any reason, I don't understand why they do because the MCU does their own thing. Like, and, and they just always have. So, and, and Dave Batista makes that character special. 1000%. Yeah. And I think from my standpoint, Tony, like a few years ago, I just started, you know, even before we started talking about it so much, like we have this year started really separating what was going on in the comics from the MCU, because there are, there are clear defining lines that you can get there. Drax is one of those characters. You look at him in the comics, you look at him in the MCU and you say, okay, those are, those are two different sorts of things. Thor, when they first started, was more like he is in the comics, very kind of serious, dry to a certain right. extent. And now they've kind of morphed him into something uh, in the movies that is very a big departure from the comics. And, and, you know, like if you listen to a lot of people like our conversations on Love and Thunder, my wife agreed with us when she finally watched it, kind of swinging the pendulum too far in the other direction at this point with Thor. So the thing that I the, the last thing I want to say about this, and then we'll move on to our next topic, because, you know, Tony really wants to talk about it, is that Dave Batista was so influential in his portrayal of Drax that when you go and look at the comics now, Drax has changed a little bit because of Dave Batista. That tells you how that has grown and how that has changed Marvel versus the other way around. And that's big. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're... Drax in the comics doesn't look very much like the one in the MCU. Is he like purple in the comics? If I in some places anyway, but um, Dep- yeah, it depends on depends on the artist and who's drawing it yeah. and all that. So anyway, all that is to say, check out Glass Onion, and if you haven't seen Knives Out, do yourself a favor and see Knives Out because it's a terrific, terrific film. Glass Onion, I think, has a really strong chance to be good as well. All right, Tony, it's your time to shine. You demanded this be on the the rundown. You stood outside my virtual internet door, pounding on the door. You kicked your way into my virtual office, fist on the virtual desk, and then started pointing your finger at me, poked me in the virtual chest to demand that we talk about She-Hulk today. Because episode five dropped. We got a return of Titania. What did you want to talk to talk about? Oh, with She-Hulk, because there was, there is stuff that I want to talk about that happened, and I want to hear from you first, and let's see if we're on the same page. I basically just have a a couple questions for the two of you. Sure. One being, we've obviously seen the hood, if you will, of one Daredevil, and we also know that we're getting um, Charlie Cox in one episode, correct? At least one that we know of, yeah. I heard it's just one. So my question is, what kind of springboard is this, you know, for Daredevil moving forward? And and it's and he's going from to the yellow. It looks like as well, or more yellow. 
why does he have a new tailor? Because we already know he already has his own tailor on the other side of the country, but maybe that's the falling out thing, or is it just that he's there? And I think the bigger overall question is we continue to get different important pieces in my mind moving forward. So She-Hulk, more important than people are realizing, considering this is a really easy way, because what's the easiest way to have one superhero interact with the other? Well, if one of them's a fucking superhero lawyer, I mean, come on, it can't get any easier than that. In my opinion, those are the questions I want you guys to answer for me, because those are all the things I thought about. And you guys know so much more than I do. And I was just really excited by that episode and that kind of workings in my mind of, man, this is almost like a, a legend of Zelda key that you can look at for the future on what's going to be connecting the dots. Yeah. I think Jennifer Walters is quickly becoming very, very important to the overall MCU moving forward. Like I think that, and and I think she was always such a unique character in the comics and I was just fascinated. I think that she makes a lot of sense and that she can create connectivity, kind of what you're referring to, to multiple heroes from different movies and films and, and series in ways that make sense without it just feeling forced because Jen Walters is a, is, is a lawyer. The other thing that's really great about the Matt Murdock slash Daredevil connection is Matt Murdock is a lawyer. So they're also going to be colleagues at some point in some way. And, and that's also something that's happened in comic books. So that I, I think that she makes a great opportunity to introduce characters to the MCU or grow characters in the Wong as a character in his two episode arc grew as a character. Yeah, so much so it's not Wong. Wong any- Thank you. I, I know where you're going. Uh, the little O'Dowd, by the way, loves him some Madison. Loves him. He actually this is this has been his favorite MCU show uh, by by a long stretch. He thoroughly enjoys. He loves the breaking of the fourth wall, and I, I wish I could I wish I could watch Deadpool with him. Um, it he's not there yet he's 10 uh, <laughs> what so he's in he's in fourth grade fifth grade this year yeah uh, maybe that's an eighth grade kind of thing you know for high school we'll, we'll see what happens um could be a middle school to the other too, question, right? daredevil daredevil started as a yellow a had a yellow suit to start actually it, it's really a big throwback so it, it could be less be more about paying homage and throwing back then to changing or yeah i think it's um i know i think it's a change moving forward because the other question that you asked you asked about like what about his other taylor from the previous series charlie cox has been in a couple of interviews now falling out though i think right well and charlie cox has even said this is not a sequel this is not a season four basically he's implying that the netflix series isn't connected to the mcu now, whether or not that turns out to be truly true, because you know we've already got Vincent D'Onofrio, who was perfectly cast as the Kingpin. Uh, whether or not it's completely true, I don't know that I completely buy it, but that's what Charlie Cox is saying in his interviews. So, Dave, what do you think? Uh, as far as like She-Hulk's importance to the MCU, probably bigger than I anticipated originally, because I think, like you're saying, she is... She's kind of a gateway character at this point in time where they're using her to introduce 
a lot of these other different elements, some of these lesser known characters to expand on characters. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody anticipated Madison having the immense popularity that she had over one episode to the point that they're talking about, you know, the Madison and Wongers. Yeah, it's all tongue in cheek, but a lot of undercurrent for people wanting it to be real. Dude, um, dude, here's the thing, though. If you don't think there's going to be a special bonus feature short of Madison and Wongers at some point. Absolutely. Whether it be uh, in, in some movie that he's involved in, like, he's going to show up. She's too popular. And, and, she's going to show up. And yeah. what I love about the show is it is it is so and it and it's remarkable to me. And I was going to ask you guys, like, do you think that they've like added stuff into the show? Because otherwise they're precognizant realizing how much hate they were going to get on Twitter for certain things that they filmed things into the show. Like her saying, yeah, you just have an episode with Wong and it's like Twitter invincibility, you know, that sort of thing. So they really were on it knowing what they were going to be facing or they've edited stuff in. No, I think it's, I think it's option one. The writing on this show has been very self-aware. Like there's no accident that they mocked backlash fan backlash in an episode there none of this is an accident the character itself is this is what's really interesting about jen walters is she has always been kind of the more um pg deadpool in terms of talking to the audience and breaking the fourth wall and, and all that she does that in the comics too like her her show is actually pretty accurate to the comic book character and what happened in the comics. And what's funny is that critics can't wrap their head around that. Like I just read a, I think it was a Hollywood reporter review that was like, it, uh, She-Hulk is trying too hard and blah, 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 blah. And it's just, and it was like, they want it to be fun. I know what they're trying to do by making it Ally McBeal, but it just, she's a superhero and blah, blah. They, they don't, like the critic couldn't wrap their brain around that there's something different that the superhero genre can bring. And that's, and that that's the other thing is this is a superhero show in the sense that there are superheroes in the show. And, and I, I wanted but it's to a sitcom. This is a sitcom. I wanted to point out like Tony mentioned something and and I think this was the first episode where we really got an official acknowledgement that, there are no Avengers right now, but there's going to be. Right. And they're kind of putting that into play. And and Jen, you know, she's going to be at the center of that. Um, as far as the Daredevil thing goes, um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's important, but it's kind of not because we already know we got an 18 episode story arc coming with Born, uh, Born Again coming up. So we know that's there. But at the same time, this is going to be Daredevil's first official appearance in the MCU. I know Matt Murdock showed up in No Way Home, but we still have not seen Daredevil yet. And that's coming in the next right. few episodes. So from that standpoint to establish, yes, he's here and here's what's going on with him. Yeah, that's a big deal, you know, from the street level side of things. And I, I think that's going to be cool getting to see the yellow suit uh, to try and distinguish it a little bit from, you know, Netflix to a certain extent. But uh, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree that I don't see how you can't separate the Netflix series completely from this. It's just more a question of where in the timeline is this going to be taking place? At the end of the day, I want the uh, I want the Marvel Knights Daredevil suit to pop up at some point. The black suit that that's always been my favorite Daredevil look. I wanted to talk a little bit of Easter eggs, though, uh, as the other thing. And, and I'll share this in the group chat. I just didn't. At the time when I shared this with Dave, I wasn't sure who had seen what. 
and I, and I didn't want to ruin it. But eagle-eyed viewers who watched the credits, and I'm sure Ray Cash saw this right away, so it wouldn't be a surprise to him. Uh, but one of the neat things that's happened with She-Hulk is that they basically, I don't know if it's not exactly concept art, but it's more like it's these watercolor um, drawings of various scenes either from the episode or in re- reference to the episode that then pop up here in, in, um, in the credits. And one of the scenes, and I'm going to forget the guy's name. Who's the shoe, the shoe head, the sneaker head? Um, what's his name, his character's name? Nobody knows. I'm gonna have to actually. I'm gonna have to actually go and look it up. Is that the douchebag guy? That no, he's 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 the one who. Um, I know he goes with their assistant. The he goes with their assistant, and they end up at right. Like, so buy the shoes. Uh, let's see. I'm just gonna. We're not cops. Got cast here. It's none of those people. None of those people. David Otunga, by the way, congrats, buddy, on on your role. Really, he's not going to show up. Real, a real lawyer in this show, so it is nice to is nice that right. he got a, uh, a cameo in there. But yeah, uh, <laughs> is it Josh Segura's character? Is it? Um, I can't get it to focus on it. Hug uh, Augustus. No, that can't. Right. Anyway, at the beginning of the show, he he works out a favor with his uh, with a uh, Nikki to go um, with him to pick up the newest Iron Man 3 sneakers, by the way. I uh, love that little reference. And, and she agrees to if he'll help her get, you know, get a wardrobe boost for, for She-Hulk. And so they go to this thing, and you get through the credit. You get to the credits. And in the credits, there is a scene of him showing off his sneaker connect collection. And there are so many Easter eggs in the pictures. We'll start with X-Men characters. There is a Deadpool sneaker in the background. There is a Cyclops and Wolverine sneaker in the background. There is a Ghost Rider, Nova, Hobgoblin, and the Thing sneakers all in this background. And here's the thing. Yeah, it's not actual appearances, but Marvel, people need to relax. Marvel knows that they've got the X-Men. Marvel knows that they got the Fantastic Four. Relax. They're coming. They're putting them everywhere now. They have the intellectual property. They have the IPs. And this this is just another way that they're showing it. Uh, and so people like Dave, who are super impatient, just got to relax. They know what they're doing. Oh, whatever, Mr. I need a trailer seven months ago. Like, you know what I'm talking about. Hey, you about. even acknowledged this week that the trailer angst is a real thing so it's not just me from anymore. other people yeah. i don't have angst about it i right. think people need to relax over the well, i think the thing about the easter eggs because you're not going to go see no, ant-man quantum media sure you're going to skip it give are it you going to skip it give it to me now pat where's where's ray when gonna, I need, where's ray when i need what, skip what it does that trailer what is that trailer going to do to influence you to go see that you're going to go see that movie. Other than create anticipation, not much. I agree with you. But do you, I, I agree with but you. But I'm anticipating the movie. We don't care. I, defer, I don't I need the trailer. Look, 
anyway, I, I will go back back to back to She-Hulk. Yeah, I, I did appreciate and thank you very much for sharing that that Easter egg because I didn't catch that the first. I, and in fact, I was going to text Ray after the episode said, "I thought you said there was a post credit scene every episode." There wasn't one here, but there actually was because it's embedded. There's more Easter eggs and post-credit. But yeah, the thing about Marvel, like you're saying, have patience. It's all going to show up. Marvel doesn't do things just for the sake of doing things. They did that for a specific reason. And and that's right. just what that's how they do it. They just don't kind of, oh, willy-nilly, let's just throw this out there just to pacify some people. No, there's a reason they did it. So um, yeah, it's it's exciting you know, that they're out there. It makes you wonder where did all these sneakers come from but it's okay uh it's 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 gonna be a, it's gonna be a fun ride to get there so yeah i you have to be an eagle-eyed viewer when you watch any marvel anything at this point like they're just it's all there it's it's all being put out there for you to see and catch and i'm just done second guessing anything that this this company does until they give me a reason to dislike what I'm seeing on my screen. And, you know, She-Hulk may not be your favorite show. I know Dave, for example, I know it's not your favorite show. Um, but you enjoy it. It's not like you hate it. I like uh, I like it better than Moon Knight. I'll be straight up with you guys. Yeah, right there now. you go. So, um, but it's neat. So I, I just thought that was fun and worth pointing out that, yes, indeed, we we have seen I also wondered if a couple of the other costumes that you see hanging around in that shop weren't uh, like one kind of looks songbirdish. Birdish. Um, I don't know if it is actually songbird, but that was one of the things that popped into my head. It's it's exciting stuff. It's fun stuff. Enjoy the ride, people. We're having a good good time. All right. So look at that, Tony. You started I mean, off one place. We ended up someplace completely different. I know. I took you places. We took you places. Well, our last thing before we go into our second commercial break. And I wanted to share out is more Disney news as Variety reported this this week that uh, on Disney's upcoming slate of films to be released, there's one that's missing. Rogue Squadron, the Patty Jenkins led Star Wars film, no longer on the release schedule. You can't help but look at this as bad news, which I find really, really interesting because you know, you had that video with Patty Jenkins talking about being a pilot and how exciting the idea of making a fighter pilot movie in space was going to be. And we haven't we've, we've heard like nothing about this film other than it's coming in this little video. And now it's gone. So to the group, we'll start with Dave. Is Rogue Squadron dead are we sad? Do we care? What do you think? Answering in the order of your questions. Yes, yes, and yes. It's dead. I'm sad. And yes, I do care. Because it, Rogue Squadron was one of my, one of my, the best of the uh, expanded galaxy for a while. I mean, they're all good stories. Rogue Squadron is uh, the elite as far as the, uh, em- not the Empire, the, the Republic, the, you know, whatever you want to call them. Um, their first line of defense, their main line of attack. I mean, there's some really cool stories you could have told about that. Yeah, the fact that, I mean, Star Wars has got a lot of stuff going on. They put out a lot of things out there. I, I'm hoping maybe we get more information when the investor call takes place pretty soon. But Star Wars, to me, feels a little directionless in certain places, especially as far as when are we getting another big 
screen, a big movie sort of installment in this series because we seem to be no direction on that front. They got everything going on on streaming and Mandalorian, and we know where we're going there. But um, yeah, this is a big kind of a big blow to those of us who were hoping beyond hope. Hey, we're going to get the next big cinema sort of announcement or some direction, and um, that's clearly not happening. So, all right, Dave, or not Dave, Tony. How do you feel about the disappearance of Rogue Squadron? It's all Star Wars. Yeah, you know I, you know I like as much of this as I can get from the Star Wars world, right? Connecting the dots, telling these stories uh, in whether it's streaming or cinematic, right? Pick one. I, I enjoy both of them, and I, that's how I like to devour that kind of content. There's so much shit out there. I don't really fucking care if it's good enough the way they're going to do it, then they'll get it out there. Maybe it's probably still going to come out. They're just waiting to redo some. I don't know. Maybe the schedule. I, who gives? I don't fucking care. There's so much damn shit out there to watch. Uh, that's my kind of point to it. So if it spells doom for a story that everybody else really wanted to hear, I, I mean, I guess I'm just not that in tune that I was looking forward that much to the particular story they were going to tell. Just keep giving me Star Wars content done right. And if it means that wasn't going to be done right, then I'm completely okay with it. So there you have it, everyone. PC Tony doesn't care about Patty Jenkins, hates her to death and everything she's ever done. Won't miss her. Is happy that she's gone. There Ooh. you go. Hey, you've wow. heard it. You've heard it. Hey, Ooh. 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 Wow. I usually only hear that in wrestling circles. Uh, here's my here's my take. Yeah, it sucks. I'm not as familiar as as close uh, to the Rogue Squadron universe as you are, Dave. Like I was never a big expanded universe guy. We all know that about me. So that uh, that didn't really impact me too much. Patty Jenkins is a hell of a director. Um. So I'm I'm disappointed in that regard because I really would have liked I would have liked to see it and and her her video and her vignette were were very intriguing to me and so I was I was here for it and to see that it is now gone is is definitely a disappointment and hopefully um hopefully it's not really the end but it's it's never good when they take it off and it's it was always marred by production issues from the get go so and she was I'm passionate. She was passionate about it. You could tell from that trailer that she really wanted to do it. So that's what makes it kind of even sadder. Absolutely. So anyway, it sounds like we should raise a gra- raise a glass to the movie that never was. Goodbye, Rogue Squadron. We never knew you. And uh, on that note, I'm going to take us to our second commercial break. Before we get to our recorded commercial, though, it is my duty to remind you that if you like what we do here at the Chairshot Radio Network and you enjoy catching the content we put out here every single day on your internet airwaves, please support us by repping the brand and heading over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and invest in one of our mini shirts. If you only like bandwagon nerds, guess what? There is a bandwagon nerd shirt out there just for you. I know I have at least one of the two that were sold ever. Uh, Hopefully two or three more do as well. You and, sorry, you, and, you, and D, you, you and DP, I got you. You and DP. I was, you very, got I was very, very proud of that shirt. But we have other shirts too. Say you don't want to rep our brand. Maybe you don't want to rep Bandwagoners. Maybe you just want to rep the logo. Maybe you want to rep the entire network. Well, we got OG Chairshot logos. We got Chairshot.com shirts to beat the band. High quality shirts, only $19.99. But if you're feeling fancy, want something that feels nice on your giblets, get it soft style. Your body will thank you. Again, 
we love putting this content out here every single day. And the only way we can do that is by you continuing to support us and getting our name out there. And the best way to do that is to invest in us over at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot. When we come back, a couple of other news bites from around the nerdosphere, and then we're going to talk villains here on the bandwagon nerds on the chair shot radio network, a part of the chair shot. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. So fellas, I, I will I will fully embrace that as a podcaster. One of my shortcomings are my transitions getting us to commercial sometimes the pro wrestling tees commercial not always the best in the land of my bad transitions this one's top three that was rough i apologize fellas my fault and i'm glad Tony, you're, you're always so supportive like ah don't worry about it but but i'm, I'm very self-critical and uh yeah disappointed in in my work there so uh my apologies hopefully i can make it better by getting us into our last little bit of news bites that are out there. And we're going to start with one that just dropped uh, this past Thursday, I want to say, Thursday or Friday of this week. Uh, Warner Brothers has announced that after, what, like 20 years, 30 years, we are getting a sequel to the movie Constantine starring Keanu Reeves with Keanu Reeves reprising his role as Constantine. So the original movie, by the way, while fun, not exactly the best film in the world. This is this is striking while the Keanu Reeves fire is still very, very hot, if you ask me, to pump out a, a DC property that people are going to get behind. Dave, am I wrong? No, I don't believe you are wrong. I, I, I know Constantine has got a bit of a cult following. Uh, a lot of people who like it. I'm kind of like you. It's like, yeah, it was a fun movie. Nothing. It's not. It's not going to be. You know, ranking in my top twenty greatest superhero films of all time. That's for sure. But uh, it, to me, it's it's a decision that you know we talk about kind of the directionless nature of some of the Star Wars aspects of things. Man, DC, no direction I, and nothing that they do makes any sense. Right? I was like, wait, wait, wait. We can't. We we don't have any plan for Superman. We don't have any plan for Batman. We're still trying to find our Kevin Feige. I got it. Let's do a Constantine sequel. Wait, what? <laughs> None of it makes any damn sense. But, you know, more power to him. I agree with you. Keanu's, you know, really, you know, he's he's one of the most recognizable names out there. Everybody wants him in all their movies, on all their properties. So why not bring it out and, and see what they can do with it? Um, hopefully it has some tie into something. But knowing DC, it will have a tie into nothing other than the original movie. So... That's all I got. Tony, with your vast knowledge of the Constantine comic book canon and Yana Reeves-led film, also with Rachel Weisz, I do believe, uh, what's his co-star there, uh, your thoughts on Constantine's sequel to Keanu Reeves? I am not a... I, I only like three Keanu Reeves movies, and I'm not a fan of him. I'm not a fan of this character. Are they um, the three John Wick movies? I'm just one John Wick 1, 2, and 3. Is that it? You couldn't guess the. You could only probably guess one of the three if you tried. But I'll just tell you: Point Break, Sweet November, and Knock Knock. 
Wow. Such a random offer. No Matrix. None of the, that is, none of the that big is an things. interesting trilogy of films. Well, we should, uh, that's one of those, uh, that'd be like one of those uh, one disc movies you'd get at Walmart for four ninety nine in the little like, bin. It'd be like a Keanu the? Reeves collection. Movies by <laughs> Project for episode 150, Pat, our top 10 Keanu Reeves movies. There you go. Oh, yeah, but well, Tony can only come up with three, so that's. <laughs> oh, Speed Two, maybe. He wasn't in speed He's not in Speed Two. two. <laughs> exactly. He's only in the first one. Uh, it sucks. That's why the second one's my favorite. All right, and we're done. So now that we know where Tony stands, I I just found this really interesting. I found the timing really interesting of this one. I just I don't I don't quite get. Anything other than this has got to be that Keanu Reeves is popular again. So, um, yeah, uh, good for Warner Brothers. And this does seem to continue the pattern of we don't know what the fuck to do with uh, with our DC property. We don't know what to do with anything. Let's do this. So, all right. So let's talk about this last news bite. And I can't remember which one of you knuckleheads shared this in the uh, in the DM. It might have been Ray. It was Ray. Um but here we are we're in the wake of the warner brothers discovery uh news and suddenly there is another rumor coming that nbc universal and discovery could be merging in 2024 now as i say this rumor i believe ray shared it in like the common comic book news twitter feed I searched it. There were like four articles, and the most reputable one I could find was from the Walt Disney World News website. Walt Disney World News Today sharing a potential Warner Brothers NBC Universal merger. merger. Um, Head freezing content. Let's let's play. I do the reason I did share this though. Is I do think this is the world we live in now, um, in terms of like entertainment conglomerates. Like I think this is it is definitely something that is going to continue to happen. But I also think it gets further into how we take in entertainment anymore, and that's through streaming. This is all just now an arms race to be the big, you know, to to own the streaming market, because traditional television is is basic is not dead. But it's not it's not how we consume. And all of these mergers are about putting together a bank of content that you can then make a, make available exclusively to the masses. And so rather than talk about the possibility of a Warner Brothers universal merge, I thought I'd revisit this conversation that we've had several times that if you're somebody who's old man yelling at cloud over having to get all these different streaming services now to watch what you want to watch. We've been telling you. And this sort of article is just a reminder that we ain't done yet. Tony, you took a deep breath. Go first. I think those people that are are upset about having to have all these different streamings are, are looking at it the wrong way. First thing you can do is if you don't watch a lot of cable stations and you have like direct TV or cable, cancel it 
You can still get a digital antenna for as cheap as ten fucking dollars, and your picture will be better than it was when you had cable or satellite. Because over the air digital is the best fucking picture that you can get. Period. End of story. You're gonna get a whole shit ton of sub channels you've never even seen before on there, plus all the networks. Now, you talk about I can't afford this many streaming subscriptions at a time. You don't have to have them at a time. You can pick one, two, three, or as many as you can afford to watch the shows you want. And when you're done, cancel it. Go grab the other one to show you want to watch for a month or two. You can flip-flop these streaming services without paying for nine or ten of them at a time. There are ways to do this. You just, you're just you just not going to have appointment television anymore. you got to get over that fact. And, man, I've been appointment television my entire life. Like, I love TV more than anything. Like, the, the you want to know what spurred the streaming era? People falling in love with the DVR, period, end of story. And we've talked about this. We've talked about how all these companies that are bigger are going to start consuming all these smaller companies before they have a chance to be even coming one of the bigger companies, right? Strength in numbers. We've, we've had this discussion before. So that's fine. Whatever makes it cheaper, because look at the WWE. How many years do we, and I'm sorry to bring wrestling back into it, right? Sorry, not sorry, but it, no, it's it applies a, it's a here. Good point. Now, how many years do we pay fucking $30 for a pay-per-view and then $50 for a pay-per-view and then $60 for a pay-per-view and then $90 for an HD motherfucking pay-per-view, right? As we kept going on. And this isn't every year, fuckers. This is a fucking month. Every fucking month we dish this out. 12 fucking times a year we did that shit. And now, and now I get everything on Peacock plus all my WWE pay-per-views for fucking, I, I do, I, when I'm going out to eat, I go out to fucking eat. I pay the top number. I ain't watching a fucking commercial. Go fuck yourself. I'm a DVR kid. This shit's going to continue to happen until we end up with, like network television did, three to five major players. No, I'll, I'll, you're, you're not wrong. No, you're not. And I'll, I'll even go, it, it was DVR that led to this, but it was also on demand, which the WWE Network was a pioneer of that, as far as like, Getting people to say, oh, I can watch what I want on my own terms when I want to watch it. That's what sells this thing. Instead of like cable is like, well, I got to wait till they put something on that I want to record at a certain time so I can watch it later. So you're not beholden to the whim of these companies. But I think, yeah, Tuddy's right. You're seeing the compression of, of these things and, and you're going to get to the point where there's three to five major players. Um, yeah, <laughs> it would be interesting to me is if, if this was to actually happen. That'd be uh, Universal Studios would be fun in, in, in Florida where they've got all these Marvel characters. And now, well, we've got the rights to these DC characters. So you could you could get Avengers versus JLA in the theme park and and see how that goes. That might be kind of fun. But, yeah, I don't know. And it's like to me, it's like when he first posted, it's like, didn't they just merge with somebody? And now we're going to merge again like a year and a half later. It just mergers don't usually go that volatile, you know, so. I don't see it happening, but it, it's it's kind of fun to speculate and, and see how this might all play out. Yeah, I, I, it's very possible that this is the next merger to take place. I just don't know that it'll happen that fast. I, I the Warner Brothers Discovery thing, such as it is, needs to get that house in some semblance of order before they can then turn around and start working on the next merger. And and that's why sadly we've lost all these DC properties, why you're you're seeing films fall off of their uh their streaming services. Uh 
I mean, hell, we're still getting advertisements right now for HBO Max, even though we know HBO Max is dead in less than a year. So I don't I don't quite buy the story. But the greater point that's being made here is absolutely true. At the end of the day, like it'll no longer be CBS, NBC and ABC. It'll be like Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu, ESPN and Amazon or whatever. Maybe a fourth. You'll get that Fox network. That'll be that'll be your uh, your Paramount Plus or something. Well, I mean, shit, CBS has Paramount Plus, so I'll put them in the clubhouse. NBC is universal. They already got Peacock. Let's put them in the clubhouse. What if Fox and fucking Netflix were to combine? Holy fuck. Well, and who knows? Netflix is probably going to have to do something. You got ABC and Disney. So there you go. There's one major player left out there for the biggest fucking original streamer motherfucker. Netflix. There's Amazon. Amazon is its own. It's Amazon is its own everything. Look at they had their very first, and they have Thursday nights now. They have football. Like Amazon is right. shit. I think that's the that's they, they should buy the CW. <laughs> I think that I think I think my favorite thing about this whole shift, and that's the other thing that we we haven't really talked about, is the way that um, sports in particular are. are flocking to streaming like you you brought up the nfl uh like they're streaming on amazon they're streaming somewhere else and they're like a streaming deal somewhere baseball at like oh, yeah. has a streaming game on apple. apple apple yep plus you have the you have unbelievably worldwide content streaming oh premier league ESPN. soccer is on nbc ESPN. all the time yep. yeah yeah Bundesliga, yep. liga cricket whatever right uh and the big 10 we were talking about college football earlier today. The Big Ten's big landmark deal is going to put games on NBC uh, on um, Peacock. Like that's the thing, and, and you know it's going to start with those lower tier buy games, but that's becoming a thing. What do the best networks have, Patrick? Including the Chairshot Radio Network, they have sports, they entertainment. have entertainment, and sports fucking entertainment. And that, friends, is PC Tunney bringing it all full circle. Okay. We still don't have any Ray Cash, Ooh, but we're gonna go up. We're gonna we're gonna bring up our last topic because this came up, and I want to discuss this because Ray kept like this. So this discussion started with another uh, another Mephisto rumor because Mephisto has become the white whale of internet fandom in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I put it out there, and I will own it. I put it out there that I find it really interesting how hard this cult following for Mephisto, as in my opinion, a B-tier villain in the Marvel comic book universe, has been latched onto by fans. And Ray vehemently disagreed with my assessment that Mephisto is a B level villain and so i thought it would be good to just have the conversation as to what in my view and in ray's view i was hoping ray would be able to make it he unfortunately could not what it means to be a a, kind of an a level or a b level villain in the world of comics and and i really pointed out and, and my biggest argument in this chat and maybe this is where the you know, like Ray eventually gets so frustrated when he just says your biases are showing. You think it's only villains in these intellectual properties because I really focused on basically the known villains throughout Marvel. 
Now, I, I'm not as familiar with DC, but what you got there? Oh, he's coming. Tony texting Ray to drag him on so that we can get to a fight. Because uh, Tony likes to stir the pot just as much as Dave tried to stir the pot after we come to a conclusion. You love basically it. Don't my, deny it. Basically, my it. point was is that Mephisto, ridiculously powerful as he is. Uh-oh. Brad, he's, this, he's this not, is pre-warfare. Pre-warfare coming. Uh-oh. He's not on the show, so I'm starting my argument. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mephisto, no ridiculously as powerful as he is, he's not what I would consider an A-tier Marvel villain because he is not this ever-present known entity throughout Marvel. Period. And that was a bridge too far. And Ray vehemently disagreed. And said that I was uh, that I was biased, and, and so I'm going to start this conversation with a D- Dave. You're the, you're the other resident comic book reader, and you made some points about what you would argue makes an A tier villain. What to you makes an A tier villain in comic book? Well, actually, it's funny. Ray and I discussed this. He actually texted me or messaged me, DM'd me a little privately to, oh, see, Jesus to see what I thought about it. And, uh, you know, I, I think for the most part, I, I tended to kind of side with you a little bit uh, on this, Pat, on the Mephisto side, because I think there's just a number of factors that you, you can't just blanket say, yeah, that's that's top level. He's top shelf. He's not. Because to me, it's like, who's the villain tied to? intricately tied to because yeah no you know you you could be the here's an example and and you know, ray and i kind of agreed on this that with the dc villains the dc villains are, are a little bit more easily defined as far as like who's top shelf or not you can look at that they pass a different sort of smell test but take a look at like a character like lobo okay lobo should be a top level villain just on his power set alone he's virtually indestructible um, he, he's just, he's, he's a badass character. He's this and that. But when you look at who he's tied to, he's not really affiliated with anybody. So he kind of gets overlooked. And I think a lot of villains are kind of like that. Mephisto's biggest claim to fame. I said, my own words was he was Thanos's bitch in infinity gauntlet. So that was like his biggest claim to fame. Um, I, you know, so I didn't see that sort of thing, but you know, it was, um, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of different factors. As far as like now, now, hold up, Dave. I'm going to pause you for a second because, ladies and gentlemen, entering the chat at, at the insistence of PC Tutty, taking a big drink of water so that he can argue with me over the over what makes a top tier villain is one Mr. Raymond S. Cashington Esquire, the Reverend himself. Welcome to the program, Ray. Gentlemen, how y'all doing? Good to see you. We are good. We were just talking. We were getting Dave's opinion on what makes a top tier comic book villain. And, and we, Dave was talking about power set being part of it, but also who the villain is tied to as, as another one. Dave, continue your thought. Go ahead. You, you guys go right now. I got a distraction. Or Dave will pause his thought as he does something around his house. Um, Ray, I'll, I'll hand it over to you before before I get into the into the meat of what I've said. I've already I've already besmirched your reputation uh, oh. many many times on this podcast. I'm sure you'll hear it later. <laughs> That's not really true. Tuddy said I went to pre-war over the whole thing. I, I don't know that I buy that. I did I did badmouth Mephisto, B-level villain that he is. To uh, turn this over to you, what for you makes a top-tier villain? 
So I think uh, I think it's a mixture, however you would like to mix it, of five things. The villain has to have a certain level of popularity. The villain has to have a certain power set, right? Like, with all respect to George St. Pierre, Bad Track the Leaper is never going to be a level villain. You know what I'm saying? All right, who's who's unwrapping something? What are you what are you doing? Am I, am I just hearing that in my brain? Swear to God, I thought I heard like somebody unwrapping a candy. Anyway, <laughs> number three. Number three is danger level, right? I think that's where Mephisto is 100 uh, percent in in line, and I'll I'll go in I'll go in more depth with that in just a second. But uh, fourth is the number of stories they're involved with, and fifth, of course. To what Dave was alluding to is the heroes are connected to. Um, so that number five is 100% obviously skewed to people like Spider-Man, people like X-Men, people like Fantastic Four, and whatnot. But if we're talking about Mephisto, Mephisto is the reason Ghost Rider exists, right? Mephisto is involved in a lot of people's stories that maybe second hand or maybe they don't fight him but he's involved in a lot more than i think we give him credit for if we're thinking from a comic perspective well i want to go back to danger level real fast because this is the one argument me and you didn't get to have that day um i think dc and and marvel particularly those two oftentimes make villains that are so overpowered or so nigh unbeatable that they put them in their own world so that their stories, they're not told, they don't have stories from them told very often. For example, Dormammu or Annihilus or Mephisto or Nightmare or in DC, Trigon, right? These people are kind of put in their own worlds to where they're not defeated, you just get out and then we're good. And that's why you don't see these people put in stories as often as someone like Dr. Doom is, or as, or as we're talking street level stuff like someone like King Ben or Norman Osborn. But I think Mephisto is a is an A-level villain. I don't know if that was what you, how you brought it up at uh, the conversation. I think it's an A-level villain because he's one of the most dangerous people in the Marvel Cinematic, in the Marvel Universe, just in general. That's, un, that's unquestionable. He's connected to a ton of heroes and a a, a ton of stories we're not thinking of. Does he have the immediacy of comic stories like Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet or or things of that nature or Doom and um, Secret Wars or something like that? No. But I guarantee you, if you've heard of Ghost Rider, if you know the story of Wanda losing her children, and there's many more stories, he has immediacy to those. And of course, the danger level in the power set. Is he popular? I will give you that a thousand times. Not that, not not to the level that I think we would expect your standard A-level villain to be. But then also, the whole reason he was brought up is because everybody wants to see him in MCU. So clearly, he's more popular than both of us are giving him credit for. Do, does everybody want to see him in the MCU, or is this like the internet wrestling community, as we've been talking about a lot of wrestling on this week's show? Is there a subset of a population that got really excited about this that are like, ooh, Mephisto? Because I I hear what you're saying. I do. And, you know, and you, we, in our argument, on, 
in our conversation, I won't call it an argument. We didn't, we didn't throw fisticuffs or anything like that. In our disagreement, uh, kind of the big crux of our difference, and I'll even own it, is, you know, how is that character known slash used amongst in the world of, of, of comics? And Mephisto, I would argue he's a guy. He's never the guy, or very rarely is he the guy. And that makes a big difference in whether or not I call them an A or B level character. Like I still argue his most known work to a hero was to Spider-Man. And that was the, you know, the brand new day story when he saves May's life and erases Peter Parker's existence and and gets the last laugh because like MJ still knows, um, but they can never be together that sort of thing. But Peter doesn't know that MJ knows and all that. Um, in using the the description that, that you did of like your criteria, what the way I would visualize it, and you see this in a lot of uh, whether we call it a trading card or even hell, if you go to like a website, there'd be like this circle, right? With like branches and they plot the points on the branches and the bigger, the kind of the bigger, the circle, the bigger, the star it kind of makes the bigger deal it is. And I think that the, that it does really matter that sure, Mephisto is around and available and, and everywhere, but again, he's not the guy, and I don't think he's the known entity that you know, that you would believe him to be. Uh, I think that when we're looking at this in the context of the MCU, sure, they they can make him a big villain. I mean, they did it with some characters you wouldn't have expected, but you, you know, it's like okay, and. I wouldn't say that I'd be disappointed. I wouldn't even say that I would perceive Mephisto as like not a threat to whoever. I just don't, I, I just don't find him to be uh, the, the kind of the top level guy, the guy uh, power set be damned universe be damned. I think that being tied to a superhero is, is a big deal. I think there's a reason that Lex Luthor who is not powered. Well, I mean, he's got money. So there's that power. Um, but, you know, he's, you know, you ask most people who's Superman's biggest rival. He's going to be one of the first three that gets mentioned, if not the first one almost every time. And he's certainly not a super powered character. He's the criminal mastermind that also, I think, as a character. And this is the other thing that it really, to me, matters and is always what i've argued makes marvel special but also makes a character like i'll use lex luther again special um maybe black manta might be another good example um there are characters that have a level of relatability and connected connectedness to us as normal humans like that they can rival a a, a super powered creature or person in a way that is challenging to cool. that hero even though they're they're just a regular person. That's why Norman Osborn, you talk about Norman Osborn and Dr. Octopus are two of my favorite Spider-Man villains and because, really, Doc Ock isn't super-powered outside of his arm, right? Like, his mechanical arms refuse his body. That's really his power. Norman Osborn, yeah, he has the serum that's made him super-powered, but he also does as much damage kind of being the de facto, almost a Lex Luthor-esque character, the Kingpin, the same way he's compelling because he's got this tragic story that drives who he is and what he does. Um, whereas Mephisto's kind of just evil to be evil and loves to fuck with people. Loki's kind of the same way. Like Loki's evil to be evil just to fuck with people. He's become compelling 
over the years with stories that have been written. And so I will say that it's the literature guy in me that that looks for some of those elements as well when I look at an A-level villain. That's why the Joker's so fast. Joker's sure. nuts. Uh, let me let me do one retort real fast. I know you want to, we got to go around the horn. Um, in 2022, this may not be relevant, but I think for the formative years of Marvel and up to the mid 90s, I think I, I feel very comfortable. And to the to, let's say the figure 2000, I feel very comfortable saying this. Ghost Rider was a major part of 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 Marvel, an A level guy for Marvel. I feel very comfortable saying that to, to, the, to about the mid 90s to the year 2000s. Um, time has not treated him well because of the, his portrayals in, on screen and because of uh, Marvel went away from syncing their comics with what was happening on screen since they, were, they sold the farm, right? Mephisto is his number one villain. You know, I had the conversation with Dave. There's a lot of these A level villains. Oh, I'm sorry, not A-level villains, A-level heroes whose who's, uh, arch enemy aren't really that big a deal. Like a guy, the Mandarin has a, a, like a terrifically terrifying power level. 99% of people ain't never heard of it before. You gotta be a real, you gotta be a real like comic book fan to have, to have known who the Mandarin was before uh or being Kingsley played him in Iron Man 3. You, nobody would have known. Nobody knew who he was. Right? In fact, the beauty of their feud was that the Mandarin could beat Iron Man at any point, but because he respected him, he let him go all the time. It's kind of the beauty of their feud, right? So, while I'm with you, a thousand percent, especially on the point about it's something, it's something cool to see a peak human go toe-to-toe with the superhuman. But that gets dicey the way these stories have been written because these stories will have people who are not relevant to anything really end up being the person that you most identify with the character. And even though you could argue Iron Man's importance is more than now than it was then, you could never argue he wasn't an A-level person for Marvel because he started the Avengers. So, like, he's always been an A-level guy to them. He just may not have been but the importance of a Wolverine or uh, well, fighter. And this was part of our conversation that we had too, is I, I don't know that if Marvel slash the MCU or whoever owned the rights to all of their properties, Iron Man is the one they start with. And that is not a knock on Iron Man himself as a character, because you are absolutely right. He is a founder of the Avengers, Tony Stark, was a big deal. But honestly, I think if Marvel would have owned the X-Men, the X-Men would have been where they would have started because Chris Claremont in the 90s sure, and the strength of the, the X-Men cartoon, uh, you know, Spider-Man, and this is coming from a Spider-Man fan, and I'll, I'll own that, Spider-Man, for all of its his faults, bigger property than, than Iron Man. Uh, the happy- Avengers... Is that a happy situation, though? I'm sorry, because of what no, the result. It is. Because it's, you it's think very... you think if they started there, they could have been as big as they. I mean, like that was just like a needle in the haystack. It's hard you know? to it's hard to know. It's really hard to know because you gotta. The other thing that's really interesting about the history of the MCU, as we kind of slide away from comics, is, 
and I talk about this all the time when I talk about people who are frustrated with kind of this phase of Marvel right now. Marvel took a risk and it took a big risk banking on Iron Man being successful. Sure. And they'll and they'll even tell you that because they recognized and they would even say Iron Man wouldn't have been our first choice for a film. But the Avengers were really the only property they were able to keep from their their fire sale back in the in the late 80s, early 90s, when they were trying to keep themselves afloat and they were selling their IPs to uh, the Fantastic Four, to Spider-Man, to the X-Men. And, and those were the IPs that the companies wanted because they saw money there. Now, of course, that worked in some cases and in others didn't. You had two very good X-Men movies before Brian Sanger left the project. You had two very good Spider-Man movies before Sony started getting into its own way. The Fantastic Four movies, though, the less we say about any attempt at the Fantastic Four, the better. Um, so, you know, Marvel kind of had itself in this spot. And they're like, well, we're going to try Iron Man because I think this is where we're going to start. And we're going to put this thing, we're going to put this tag on at the end. We don't know where it's going to go, but if this movie works... We could be in business. And it's even fair to argue that movie number two and three in their in their attempt to see it work almost didn't allow it to work because the Hulk was a was kind of well, it was okay received, like it wasn't a blow away. Um and then I now I'm trying to write, did Thor come next or did Iron Man 2 come next? I can't remember Iron Man 2 came next. Iron Man 2 came next when they were like, okay, we're for sure going to do this Avengers thing and people were for it. Because I think the idea of the Avengers was bigger than the individual characters. And Marvel hit it right with casting, hit it right with the with the tone and the character and the thing they set. But the villain, Obadiah Stane, like, that was a surprise. Because to your point, Ray, I would have figured they would have done like like superhero movies have done for years. Usually start with your biggest villain, your known villain. Well, and they didn't do that. Let me two things real fast, and then I know we got to hear from Dave and PC. Number one, everything you said is spot on, but I I I want to make sure that I I speak up for this because I don't want it feels like you're saying all those facts about the Iron Man movie in a in a secondhand way to kind of discredit him from being top level guy just because just because they wouldn't gonna they wouldn't have started with him if they could have doesn't mean he wasn't still an a-level hero no not at all but i'm just saying he's not the first a-level hero they would have gone no, with how's that absolutely no sure flash isn't uh, flash is a level hero and in DC, he they would have nobody would have ever started with Flash in the DC universe, right? Right. And man, and man is another guy, right? The other thing um, is, and I think this is a low key under talked about part of reason why Marvel worked at the beginning. The MCU worked. They dumped it down for everybody. Every hero, every villain was the inverse of the hero. And that made it really simple for people who didn't follow these stories to follow along. So that's yeah, the unbreakable have, theory. Yeah, we exactly one hundred percent. We have Iron Man, we have the Iron Monger, we have Thor, we have Loki, we have Mister America, we have Mister Nazi. It was a very easy story to be told, so that when people people who didn't watch comic book read him on comic books. 
could say, oh, well, there's something about this that I can get into. And then once they got hooked, then they started telling more complex stories and having more complex feelings, right? And I think that's a really genius way to start it off that they haven't got a lot of credit for because us diehards are like, men don't care about Obadiah Stane. But the importance of having that guy versus the Mandarin, and even then they were ahead of the game because where did Tony Stark get attacked? By the Ten Rings. So it's always there. Yeah, I... Your points, your points, well taken, uh, Dave. Jump in here. Your thoughts on, on this guy? As we've kind of morphed this conversation a little bit, it's it's moved around. Um, your thoughts on, you know, where where we are with villains, where where this is all kind of launched off, and I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think like uh, before, I got distracted. What I was alluding to was, um, I I do think, and I know Ray and I kind of agreed with it that. DC's villains are more easily identifiable as like these are top shelf, these not so much. Um, but like with with Marvel, it's it's there's a lot more shades of gray. And I, I think like like what you guys were saying, Pat, that would Iron Man have been Iron Man have been their first choice if they had all of it available to them? Probably not, and that may have been a mistake because going with the you know they they made the best of what they had. And the Avengers are infinitely more relatable to most people than the X-Men probably are. Because it's like, oh, these is like, Iron Man, he's just a normal guy with a suit. You know, he doesn't have mut- mutated genetics and adamantium claws. And and like you're saying, some of the the first two X-Men movies were, were good. But, I mean, some better than good. And then the last one. But, I mean, like, when you're looking at what, what the MCU did was they kind of went into this whole thing saying, we've got all this, you know, this stuff we can use. We're going to use this as an idea and revolve everything around that. So it, it does. I, I think the, you know the MCU does kind of put a different sort of filter over our eyes as far as like who's a big villain, who's the top level, who's not. Absolutely. And and the MCU kind of morphed that. Whereas if you were just going on comics alone, like you know, we and I know Ray and I were talking about this. Like Loki's an interesting conversation. Would you consider him a top level villain? I do because. A, he's Thor's nemesis, and B, if not for Loki, the Avengers are never formed in the comics and the MCU. So there's a big impact to that character that kind of colors that for me. I had a question like I asked Ray, and I'll put it to you, Patrick, because I was wondering what your thought on it is. Is Kraven a top-level villain? I know Spider-Man... Oh, God, no. Okay. So... No. So... Kraven, and and again, it's not... I do think there is something to be said about the strength of the Marvel rogues gallery versus the DC rogues gallery as well, just in general, in terms of if you, and this goes back to popularity as much as anything, but if you go to any person on the street and said, name some superhero villains before this ever hit, you're probably going to get what the Joker, probably like the joke, the Joker, Lex Luthor. You, I honest to God, who would be the first Marvel but you'll get Thanos, you get Thanos now. now, but yeah, let's, let's take the movies out of the equation. Who do you think would be the first Marvel villain that somebody would rattle off Magneto. as a, as a comic book villain? If, if you were just to say anything, I don't, say, I don't, right? I think it's right now, uh, maybe, wait, wait, I should no, answer this question. Uh, movies, not movies, not if you didn't know about the movies, movies didn't exist. We just said, name some superhero villains. What and would be, a, what would be the Marvel movie villain that you would think of? Right. And I should answer this question, right? Like right. I'd be the Go one ahead. to answer. Sure. And, but so, and, and I take Mephisto. out the MCU, I oh. take out the MCU. 
Yeah, you can't. You got to act as if movies didn't exist. Here's the here's the here's the answer. None. I think I think Magneto would Magneto. I, not a fucking clue. I I'll would probably I would say for me it'd be Doctor Doom or Green Goblin. That but hold he, on, hold on. Choice. So it, movies hold don't on. exist. Like nobody, I don't like. I don't know who the movies don't exist, and I'm not reading the comics. Think of I, where but, am I? But hold on, you've never so. I, I get the movies thing, yeah, but you never watched the X Men the, the the TV show the, the the cartoon. Magneto is a guy that's known by a lot of people. If I didn't I, listen, and this is why I say a happy situation because I wasn't an X Men fan. I liked I liked Superman and Batman, and there was Spider Man, but like you know how you're taking away the movies, so like I don't know, I'm not really watching. The cartoon huh. as I get older and stuff like that. So I'm saying like general mainstream pop culture, DC has them, Marvel doesn't. There, the answer right. is none. None. It's interesting you said that real fast, Pat, because if I'm if I'm thinking the way Tony's thinking, just as a kid, I never looked at Norman Osborn as a major level guy. Yeah, because he wasn't. Because the, the, he was he was a major level guy in the comics, but. In popular culture, well, honestly, so Tony brought up the animated series, and what's really interesting about bringing up the animated series in regards to Spider-Man, the Kingpin was was the guy yeah. that they focused on in the animated series. Magneto yeah. was the guy they focused on in the X-Men series, and, and Apocalypse yeah. to some level. Uh, and so, Mar- but yeah, Marvel's rogues gallery, while I, I love them as characters, I think there's an argument that none of them were particularly A-listers outside of a Doctor Doom, like and and even then it's like, you know, when you think about that, that's kind of crazy. Now the longevity of Marvel Comics, you know, they existed in the '60s, so they and they didn't go away, and and so those characters were compelling and creative. But you know, I, I most everybody that I would ever ask you, like, if I just said name a comic book villain, the Joker would be number one. Yeah. Like yeah. you look at our you look at our villain. Lex Luthor. It didn't matter what anybody else picked. Second, whoever had the Joker had a leg up. Now they may not have won. I don't even remember if the team I with the Joker won. Destroyed. I got destroyed, but Was it? it wasn't close. Oh, you had the Joker. And oh, and, well, and Harley, and it didn't matter. Well, because you know Harley's kind of a traitor now. Other, She's like the Stone Cold Steve Austin of, said voting, of villains. So yeah, your burner but accounts, anyway. honey, that's what was involved. Bro, no, listen, we're going to have to. Bro, the words, bro, the words, bro. No, it's the Wurtz brothers. They have way more backup than necessary for this kind of situation. You will never, they'll never lose. Dave will never lose. Uh, not Fair enough. The well, other one. So anyway, I, I think this is a discussion that could go on forever. I do think that, um, you know, I, I think that at the end of the day, whatever makes a character an A-level level villain to you, Embrace him. If you love Mephisto and he's your guy, make him your guy. If well, you're like me, you'll love you some Lex Luthor and some uh, and some Norman Osborn. That's the way to do it. I would say we you know have. What, I would say we have two A level villains on Chairshot Radio Network. And one of them's on. One of them's on this show. So yeah, guy right in now. the chair. No, the other one's Chris. <laughs> Funny. Um. As long as we all agree that Brainiac can go fuck himself, I don't care. All right. You'd think of a way. Bold statement to close the show. Boom. Ray, thank you very much for coming on the show. Here's my big question, though. Next week, episode yes. 150, 
is Ray Cash going to be on episode 150 of Bandwagon Earth? Oh, I'll make the time, brother. I'll, I'll, I'll. Oh, now he's making the time. Now he can probably forced his hand, asshole. There's villain. There's villain number one. Way to go. I will embrace. In fact, I may change my Twitter profile to just say the villain of the Chairshot Radio Network. Villain number we one. Gotta, we got to bring. We got to get a full house for 150. Tony, reach out. You to really want this to be an eight-hour fucking podcast next That's week? Right. Jesus Christ. We're gonna do right. Ray. We'll we're gonna see, do a we'll watch along. We we're gonna do you, a watch along of Rise of Skywalker. Ray, you down? You guys can put up the plat signal, and Patrick and Dave and Ray. I will effort DP to try and at least make a timely drop in if I can. That's the best I can try to do. So if you want that, I mean, I'd love to see DP. I haven't seen him in forever. It'd be very exciting to do. But um, okay, well, we'll cross that bridge next week when 150 uh, hits your internet airwaves. We are going to head out now, but before we do, gentlemen, let's do a once around. Remind everybody where they can find you on the Chairshot Radio Network and how to follow you on the socials. This week, we will start with the lawyer, David Ungar. You can find me at Ray's house hanging out and debating with him about the best villains on a daily basis. Let's go. Let's go. You can find me on Twitter at Attitude Ag, at Attitude A-G-G, and Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. PC Tunny. Listen to DWI Podcast, Chair Shot 100. We just dropped uh, 91 through 100 next week. We got 81 through 90. Uh, we'll have another guest on. But, I, uh, Patrick, put on your suggestion cup because I would say a bandwagon nerds battle duel to death on things in the chat that happen between two guys and then whoever else is on the show gets to pick what argument they like best because you guys had it today. It's good content when two people argue about something and they know what they're talking about. So you take it under consideration. Hope I got more of the tip than the balls and the cup situation there. It's going to be me and Patrick every week. It's going to be me and Patrick every week. <laughs> we don't disagree on everything, everything, man. That's not true. No, but um, when we do this- we disagree. We like go at That's true. It. Here, this this just for you, just because. All right, Ray, tell everybody where they can find you on the socials and on the network. You can find me um, at the Twitter for my second job at LJ underscore Era Eight. Okay. Can they listen to you anywhere? Or are you just gonna leave it at that? It's Ray Cash. Ari Wise Mysterio. C A S. Outsiders Edge is back. Chairshot Radio Network. I, there you go. I was just trying to get you to put over your shows, man. That's all I was trying to do. I love how Tony's so excited about that. He's more excited people about that than fu- we. People fucking listen to the show. Pimp it, motherfucker. Outsider's Edge. Every Friday. People listen all to that. this show? This show, too. Yes, very much. 20, 27 listeners. That's what we know based on polling numbers. All right. You can follow me on the Twitter at Wrestling Realist. That is at W R E S T L N G R E A L I S T. You can catch me every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday on the Chair Shot Radio Network. Monday, talking dirty shit with these guys here on Bandwagon Nerds. Tuesdays, it's generally Chair Shot Radio. Right now, musical chairs, although occasionally a 5x5. Five five. And in the fall and winter, it's hockey talk. And then Wednesday, I'm talking wrestling with Greg DeMarco and Miranda Morales on the Greg DeMarco Show. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. That's going to do it for us. Now, get yourself out of the basement. Get some sun. And find yourself an A-level villain. You've been listening to Bandwagon Nerds here on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of the ChairShot.com.
Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Third rule of Fight Club, someone yells stop, goes limp, taps out, the fight is over. Fourth rule, only two guys to a fight. Fifth rule, one fight at a time, fellas. Sixth rule, no shirts, no shoes. Seventh rule, fights will go on as long as they have to. And the eighth and final rule, if this is your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.